You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. Hey, you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Nikki Stott. Today is National Tree Day, and later in the show, we'll be hearing from singer-songwriter Peter Vadivelu, a keen environmental and social justice activist, about his fabulous song called Fight for the Trees and why he felt compelled to write it, and then he'll play it for us. But first off, we'll hear from guest presenter Nikki Page speaking with Anna Maki in South Australia about her work with Climate for Change, who are a volunteer-powered, not-for-profit organisation networking Australia-wide to support communities to deal with climate crisis by facilitating face-to-face conversations about climate change while working in groups. The aim is to get action and action fast in a political and social way. You do it through conversations with people who trust you. Ordinary conversations, ordinary people. You start off where there's just one or two people who do it and then they talk to their friends and they talk to their friends and that's how Climate for Change believe we can change the social climates and hence action. You might facilitate a group of people thinking about what changes they would like to make but one or more of the people in that group will go ahead and organise another group of people to get together and talk together about how they could make change around the climate crisis. Yes, and Katerina Gator, the woman who started Climate for Change, was a, a young mum and very distressed at the way our planet was going. She was a social researcher, so she was aware that that's how change occurs, is through people and conversations. So every group I go to to facilitate, there's a host who supplies the coffee or tea or wine or whatever and the cakes. Then I facilitate this conversation, discussion, and I say how important this, in fact, there's a little graph that shows how if there's two people from that meeting who will agree to host and then from those two meetings, two more people, that just within five lines we'll get 64 kind of groups of people that are committed to climate action so exponential growth in a good way yeah exactly (laughs) and the conversations have a very clear goal don't they it's to support people who have some level of concern to think about what their next step might be would that be a good summary of the goal yes that's exactly what we want 80-something percent of people in Australia agree that climate change is happening and that it's serious and that something has to be done. But not all of those people do something or even vote in that direction. And often it's because they don't know. They don't have access to information, so they don't know and they don't know what to do. Research shows that the best way to come up with ideas is to have it modelled by your neighbour or your friend or your sister or your partner. So the facilitator presents the very basic facts, all you need to know to realise this is serious, and then we brainstorm some ideas to do. At Climate for Change, you know, we say we've got 10 years, but actually it's less than that. We've got a very short amount of time. 
We need things to happen at a political level. We need the politicians to know that the people of Australia are really serious about this. So if I got a bunch of my friends together and you came and some of them would be doing something and others of them would be worrying and not doing very much at all... At our meetings, you know, beyond the usual kind of getting to know you thing, we start off with a movie, a 20-minute movie that shows the basics of how serious this is and then it talks about some fantastic things that are happening. And then we put people into small groups to have a discussion about how they were affected by that movie. Then we come back and share ideas and then I really kind of steer them towards the idea of if we want to influence the government or big organisations or industry you know how can we do that so we really move to brainstorming ideas about how we can hit the people with the most influence climate for change has has some things that they can offer people if you want to join you know the bike riders or one million women or the religious response to climate change we can share their information or we offer a fantastic newsletter that you can get every fortnight that you can read it in two minutes what's happening what's not happening what you can do etc or you can sign up for a what we call an mpeg or you can start a little group of people that write letters to your local mp And that's fantastically resourced. There's a woman called Sue Dwyer. I run one of these MPEGs. And once a month we just go to her site, get an idea about what we should write a letter for. There's an example of a letter there. There's addresses of all the MPs we need to send it to. So we've got the resources. We just spend that hour a month writing to those people. And and doing that together, is that the idea? Doing that together, yeah. It's so much easier to do things as a group. Or if someone you know and trust has modelled that. What does it take to be a facilitator? What do you need to know already or what do you need to learn? One of the many things Climate for Change is good at is that it trains us up. For me, it was just really believing in their model of change, really believing that this is how change happens from person to person, conversations in a community, etc. The training keeps happening once a month how to hold conversations with people, how to listen. We've also got a site where we learn off each other. So someone will hold a conversation and share the positives, the negatives, what works, what they experimented with. And they've had people in there like Rebecca Huntley, people from organisations that look into group dynamics, etc. The skills I've gained have been really useful, yeah, yeah. Rebecca Huntley, I'm not sure that I can remember the name of her book, but basically she's a social researcher who's been writing about how to have conversations. Can you remember the name of her book? Yes, How to Have a Conversation About Climate Change. That's really effective, something like that. There's a thing called a social diffusion curve. So if we look at something like home computers, there's the first few who take it up as the sort of innovators... And then the graph starts to go up. The next few are the people that take it up. And then the bell curve really goes up high to the people who've been influenced by those people who've taken it up, been convinced. And then the bell curve goes down to the people who just refuse to take it up. In climate change, you've got the same curve. Climate for change is really interested in that top part of the bell curve where people know climate change is happening, but they don't know what to do. We're not that interested in deniers. We kind of make it a policy to not really engage with them. 
just to accept that they think like that. But we really want to talk with people who want to act. And, you know, so many NGOs, that's the area where they struggle. The people who think, well, that's a good idea, but are not active. And this is how to get people active when people would rather deny or just hope. Yes, hope it will go away or hope somebody else will fix it. And what have you learned, Anna, in the process of working with people and and helping people to, to make that shift? Well, Rebecca Huntley's book has been taken up by Climate for Change and they've made it much more accessible. They give you ideas about what questions to ask each category of people. I guess what we call the innovators, the early adapters and the early majority. So we get people there who say, yeah, you know, climate change is happening, but what can I do? Or look, I'm really busy. I've got a family. And if we show them that graph and say, well, you know, I hear what you're saying. What if everyone on the face of the earth just did one little thing, you know? And it's the power of the group. Invariably, someone in the group says, well, I do such and such. It's really about working with what you've got. The skills I've learned have been the skills of listening and the skills of picking up on what someone says and trying to expand it. I guess we're trying to really make sure people feel heard and to really go off what they say, find some point of agreement, and so that it doesn't become a kind of a ping-pong match between the two of you, ask for someone else. You listen to them, find a common value. Yes, I'm concerned about my grandchildren too. Yes, I know what you mean. Climate is always changing. You're right, but let's have a look at these statistics. Agree, bounce off them and incorporate other people and then they feel as if they're an important part of the team. That tends to diffuse the energy of them trying to prove you're wrong or something. So to find that common value, concern for where you live, concern for money, you know, economics, it often gets back to that. And that's a very good place to start because economically it's more feasible to work around the emergency than it is to deny it. As the insurance companies know... (laughs) There are so many organisations and corporations that know the statistics on the economy. I think the group's been pretty fast-growing too, hasn't it? Yes. Katerina started Climate for Change in 2014, totally volunteer in those days. And there's been nearly 300 facilitators that have been trained. 7,500 people have attended these meetings so that's a lot of influence we've got really until 2030 to get the emissions to zero so there's this sense of urgency they've had a big very successful crowdfund which has enabled them to have people on a payroll who organize training organize support organise these MP engagement groups. They've also really prioritised working with other organisations, so it's very inspiring. Tell us some stories about people that you've worked with, people that you've seen making change. The groups have been very different. Most of the conversations I've had have been with people that at least I know one person. But sometimes you can tell straight away that someone is going to be a little bit suspicious or antagonistic or something. And, you know, I had one of those in my second meeting. She just said, I'd be interested to see what your organisation does about and then gave me a big list. You know, that was a little bit frightening. 
But by the end, she got into a group. I could see she was laughing and chatting with others and nodding and saying, oh, it's a good idea. So, again, the power of friendships and of being in a group. And in another group I had, a woman just took it upon it herself. She said, oh, we've come up with these ideas. And she said, right, let's get our diaries out and let's just agree to meet regularly. Now, she came up with that idea, not me. So little things like that are really exciting to see that people get what we're trying to do and also get that it's the power of being with others. I'm just thinking about self-care of you because, of course, every activist comes upon this question at some point. How do I make sure that I don't get swamped by the bad news, the, the need of other people to be supported There is support for facilitators, though? Again, Climate for Change is good at that. As an older person, I'm really impressed by how all these these younger ones are really in touch with those kind of dynamics that we need to work together. They get together often and brainstorm, and we have a Facebook site where we share our wins, our losses, our tricky situations where we've got creative... And I found that really useful. People just put up where they think they went wrong and then someone will come in with an idea. And constantly in our training, we're told to be aware of burnout. They remind us often, take care of yourself. You know, in a world that's doing what it's doing, we need people to, to know self-care. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. My name is Peter Varivalu. I'm a singer-songwriter who's based in Nam, otherwise known as Melbourne, and have been mostly writing about social justice and environmental justice issues. Really, environmental justice is social justice because we know that the people who will suffer the most and the earliest are people from low socioeconomic backgrounds and countries that are not rich Western countries. One of the sort of fundamental principles that I see is that the importance of trees. We actually can't live without trees. They keep everything going. They're absorbing the CO2, they're producing oxygen, they are essential for water management and uh, cleansing water and filtering it and holding the ground in place and all the habitats that they support that we rely on as well. So even if you put it at a very sort of human-centric position of, um, is that we actually can't, we can't live without trees, but we don't seem to recognise that because they're a resource to be chopped down and make money out of in our culture. Dare I say we're virtually suicidal because we do things that are not in our long-term interest. We do things that will end up killing us. So... Um, As those sorts of thoughts uh, really resonated with me, I I felt I wanted to write a song around that. A lot of my songs are fairly a bit punchy and hard-hitting, with a slightly softer and slightly sing-along type approach. It's that really hard thing when you're speaking to people. If you hit them too hard with a lot of facts, you might just push them away, but you feel like you have to hit them with the hard punching facts because otherwise you're in danger of downplaying the urgency and how do those of us in this space walk that fine line hopefully through song i I try to do that i've sort of would 
love to just touch on the lyrics too, um, specifically the one in northwest Tasmania and the one up in Tulangi in mm. Victoria. And that just sounded to me like these were trees that you'd sort of connected to personally and I was wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, I haven't, I have to say, I haven't connected with them personally as in haven't gone there, but I've uh, done research around them and uh, feel a bit like I've connected with them personally. So the one in northwest Tasmania... It's considered the oldest tree in Australia. It's a pine tree, about 2,000 years old. And it's an unusual type of tree because it grows a bit like a colony as opposed to a single structure. So it's a little bit hard to track the dates, but they've come to the conclusion that it's about 2,000 years old. It's in an area, unbelievably, where there's heaps of mining around it. And, of course, lots and lots of trees have been chopped down in that area for mining historically. So trees like this are under threat. You know, these trees are like 2,000 years old, and they'll put a mine up there that might last 20 or 30 years and destroy all the habitat. It's uh, our bizarre capitalist system. In that northwest Tasmania area includes the, the Tarkine or Tarkana, First Nations people call it. It's the largest temperate rainforest in Australia. You know, it's as big as the Daintree. And the forest is habitat for lots of endangered species. Right now, there's a massive issue around a mining company, MMG, that wants to flood one of the rivers there in order to, to create a swamp, which they'll put into it their mine tailings, dig up the earth, treat it with really severe and toxic chemicals to extract nickel and gold and all those things. So they want to dam a local river so they can just pour this toxic sludge into that dam. So basically destroy all of that area, all these beautiful trees and things like that. So for those interested in that sort of stuff, there's a temporary injunction at the moment. There's a brilliant bunch of people who are getting arrested. They're trying to stop the bulldozers from going in. They're fighting on our behalf. They are doing an amazing job. And, and a lot of the people are, are linked to the Bob Brown Foundation. And in Melbourne, a few uh, musicians, myself and uh, a bunch of just brilliant musicians are doing a show as a fundraiser on Friday, August the 6th at the Northcote Uniting Church to help supply money to these people who are down fighting for the Tarkana region uh, to stop this mine. So if you're around, there's some just amazing musicians who are going to be on the bill and I'll sing my song, Trees, um, that I'm going to sing. So that's the regions that I talked about in the song. And the other one is the Victorian Central Highlands. Now that's near Tulangi. You know, the Central Highlands is a really, really important area. It contains the most carbon dense forest in the world, which means that chopping it down will release so much CO2 into the air. And in fact, 15% of Australia's carbon emissions come from deforestation because you chop all these trees down, kill them, and they release all their carbon into the air. But, you know, some people say, oh, well, you've got to build houses out of something. And you do, of course, so there's an issue to be addressed there. But 80% of that beautiful old forest. Now, these are trees that have lived for 200, 300, 400 years. They're called the Kalatha Giants. It's mountain ash. So these amazing trees and such beautiful, important, majestic things of 400 years of growth, 80% of those that are chopped down 
a pulp. They turn into wood chips for photocopy paper. The Victorian state government's own logging company, which is Vic Forest, much of their logging in that area has been proven to be illegal. They've been found guilty of illegally logging 42 coops to date. And there's no doubt more. It's just that the brilliant, amazing, dedicated, hardworking volunteers who go around taking photographs in these um, really difficult areas where Vic Forests have logged, and then they have to go and check all the maps and check whether the areas that they've logged line up with the areas they're allowed to log in. And they've found already that 42 coops have been illegally logged. They estimate that one in 20 of the trees that they pull down is logged illegally. So not only they're doing these terrible things to the forest, they're taking more wood than they're allowed to. It's illegal. So I touch on two areas in this song. They're just two examples. You know, right down the eastern seaboard of Australia, it's just horrendous how much logging there has been. We are the worst country in the world historically, uh, developed country, for logging. Of the top 10 deforestation sites on the planet, there's only one of those sites is in a developed country, and that country is ours. We are in not just a climate crisis at the moment, we're in a biodiversity crisis. So chopping down the trees is going to make that crisis worse. If we stopped CO2 emissions today, if we could somehow just turn off the switch and there are no more CO2 emissions, even if we stopped today, we've got 20 years of global warming still ahead of us, global overheating. And the only thing that we know, the only drawdown, CO2 drawdown technology that we know works is cheap, you can put it virtually anywhere on any land, is trees. It's just so important that we stop chopping down trees immediately for all sorts of reasons, as I've mentioned, but particularly for CO2 drawdown. And we start to plant billions of them. You know, I write this song just to say, well, as the, the, the title of the song is Fight for the Trees, we have to fight for the trees. And in a sense, we're fighting for the trees, but as in with all of these things, we're actually fighting for ourselves. We're fighting for our own survival in all of this. Way up high upon Mount Reed, a pine tree stands. Northwest Tasmania, on Tomaguinea land. Oldest tree in our country, 2,000 rings it shows. It's sprouted at the time of Christ, all those years ago. Nearby mines have come and gone, miracle it survived. Short term greed all around, scars the mountain sides. The mountain sides. Yes, scars the mountain sides. The mountain sides Way up high near Talangi town The Kalapa giant stands Four hundred years it's been growing On Woiwurrung land Central highlands, mountain ash 
precious as it comes Cleansing air and water Alchemists of the sun But as I sing these giant trees Hercules of nature Are being pulled into Photocopy paper Photocopy paper Into photocopy paper Yeah, reflex copy paper How is it that we let this happen? It's a travesty Out of sight, out of mind We cannot let that be The simple truth is that we can't live Without the trees 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 Sing with me Fight for the trees been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. And today on the show, we heard from singer-songwriter Peter Vardivalu, and you can find him at petervardivalu.com.au, also on your socials and on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. And if you're NAM-based, you can book tickets on Eventbrite for the August 6th Big Gig for Tarkana fundraiser at the Northcote Uniting Church that Peter mentioned to support the fight against mining company MMG and their Toxic Tailings Dam project. There are also a bunch of similar gigs running all over Tassie from the 6th to the 8th of August and you can go to bobbrown.org.au forward slash big gig for Tarkana to get more information on those gigs. And if you're not in Tassie or Victoria, you can also go to the Bob Brown Foundation website to find out other ways to support that campaign against MMG. Earlier in the show, guest presenter Nikki Page spoke with Anna Markey from Climate for Change and you can find them at climateforchange.org.au. And you can find today's podcast and all those links I mentioned at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, we'd love you to subscribe. And why not rate us and give us a review to help spread the word. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting the show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Nam, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And, of course, you can also find us on your socials. That's all for today, but don't forget to tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories. Way up high on Capitol Hill, a big house stands. 
With red and green chambers on Gunner Wall land. Our so-called leaders riding high in their big charade. They let power plays and politics always win the day. They can dodge and weave and double speak as much as they please. But when will they face the fact we can't live without the trees? We can't live without the trees. We can't live without the trees. We can't live without the trees. Sing with me. to fight for the trees Walk among the trees Miracles of green Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.